One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back with Meeting of the Minds. Today we are here with the great Tom Barry, General Manager of Westside Barbell, the strongest gym in the world, bar none. Tom, thank you for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So much great information that you're pumping out on your social media pages, on YouTube. So I'm really excited to pick your brain about a little bit. So one of the things that I noticed that you put out on the page is that training tendons are more important than training the muscles. Not more important, but you have to train them at a greater amount, the three to one ratio. Can you talk about that and why that's important for athletes? Yeah, because usually the connective tissue is what causes the most amount of injuries. And um, we can get stronger very quickly and we can build up muscle tissue very quickly, but tendon strength requires hundreds and hundreds of reps to, oh, excuse me, to, um, to build up the blood, or to get blood supply to the uh, joints. And, um, that's why it goes unknown. And we, uh, we realized that with a bunch of athletes that um, everyone's focused on conditioning. Everyone's focusing on let's build strength. Let's put on mass where we need it. But really the time taken for the joints wasn't there. And um, then working obviously with, with Louie and his knowledge, you're like, well, of course. Like it takes at least 100 to 200 reps um, to start developing uh, ligaments and tendons. And he goes, really, have you ever torn one? I'm like, yes. Did they ever go black and blue straight away? I'm like, well, no. He's like, well, there you go. I'm like, okay. And then um, been here, made friends with John Quint. And John is an exceptional human being. He's like a human MRI. But he knows the joints inside and out. And um, when we started really thinking about an athlete, if you take away the sport from anybody, right, regardless if it's wrestling, MMA, and if I can make you a better human being, right, in terms of your joint development, and you work from the joint outwards, well, then I've just limited the, your perceived risk of injury because we're, we're starting with the joints and moving out. But a lot of strength coaches start on the outside. I'm like, okay, we're going to put on mass. We're going to do conditioning. Like, there's no better conditioning for wrestling than wrestling. Like, the drills you guys do is just remarkable, but it's hard to replicate that. We can do some things, but um, when it comes to joints, it has to be very specific, and we will have specific uh, exercises in our workouts, but we'll actually have uh, small workouts dedicated to just joint development. Um, and another thing, too, with wrestlers, because you're in such strange uh, positions at times, and the forces you guys go from static uh, to dynamic, and then you've got quasi-asymmetrics and you explode, is that if you don't load the joints in outside the range of motion you're used to, 
the amount of force you can generate is going to cause issues. So we try to be as general as possible and train the joints and ranges of motion that you won't normally be in. And uh, yeah, really that's our perspective. Start with the joints and move outwards. And if you do that, really by rule of thumb, you're going to make a better athlete. Absolutely. I remember reading Tudor Bampa's book. He talks about joint flexibility, tendon strength, like his rules of um, strength training. He has that right there. So I mean, you're saying the same thing there. Uh, unpack that a little bit more because you hit on a few things there. And I'd really like you to elaborate. Uh, just one other quick point is that for our viewers, of course, you guys have the strongest powerlifters in the world, but isn't it like 90% athletes, something, some very high number at Westside that you're Yeah, training? we have really got a lot more coaches now than we do. But we, we have MMA, track and field. We've had, we've had cricket players. We've had tennis players, BMX, uh, X Games athletes. So you name it, we've had a bunch of athletes. The powerlifters put the place on the map. And then that's where everything came from, from Lou. But Lou is a, you've met him, he's a unique character. But he understands special strength development. And he can dissect any sport. And that's the biggest thing is because he can cross-reference and dissect it. And dude, that's why when I came here, I couldn't, but I thought it was just going to be powerlifters. And then I'm like, dude, there's not that many. Powerlifters have their set times, but then throughout the day, you have all these athletes that come in. And because of that diversity, it keeps us on top of our game. But we can, we really understand, because most people who come here have some sort of injury that is kind of like their last resort. And then by the time they're finished here, they're like, I wish I knew about this when I was younger. And like, we want to put that in a t-shirt because that is normally what every athlete says. Yeah. <laughs> what is it again? Just so we have it. Well, so I, I wish I knew, when I knew this when I was younger. Right, right. right. Let's unpack some of those terms yeah. that you said before and elaborate a little bit more. Cause you said, I've heard those, those terms. I probably still don't fully understand them. And maybe some people are hearing them for the first time. So when you were saying start with the joints and then work out and then putting yourself in a certain position, go on with that. Yeah. So if we, uh, so a lot of this information comes from um, a guy called Dr. Eric Spina. Um, and he said one thing in a seminar that I thought was very, very smart and was that uh, force is the universal language of cells. And we're all about developing force, right? Force capacity in different shapes, ways, and forms. So, and Louis says, you're already as strong as your weakest link. So if we start from the joints, which is the internal aspect of the body and work outwards, well, then we're not going to have a weak link because we're covering everything. And we have to put force into a joint in order to stimulate it. And we want to stimulate growth and strengthen it. Well, we can only do that by putting in force. But if we put in uh, force in one direction, then that joint or whatever it is will get strong in that direction. But as you know, in wrestling, anything can happen and you can torture your body into absolute crazy different angles. Well, if we haven't developed force in all different shapes, ways and forms, different angles, then whenever you get outside the groove, that's when injury occurs. And that's the term groove training is where you train yourself in one particular way. So you can, you can go, I train all the time. I got no idea what happened because you train the same way, the same ranges of motion, you might do different exercises, but you haven't changed the path of what you're doing it with. So we're like, okay, let's focus on the joints first. Let's start assessing the joints. And if you take uh, your hip joint, right? So usually the ball and socket is where most of the issues come out of. And your hip joint is a ball and socket joint. And um, just say, if you've got full, like, full rotation, everything you need in the hip joint, 
and then it becomes impinged. Well, the mechanoreceptors in your brain are going to think that this movement is really this movement. And then it has to go somewhere. And usually that goes to your back or to your knee or ankle. And um, like a back is not supposed to torque, it's supposed to flex. Um, so by assessing the joints and seeing where they're at, we can eliminate a lot of back injuries, a lot of knee injuries. And that's where a lot of um, like cruciate ligament and injuries like that happen because the hip joint is impinged and the, the knee is starting to rotate. So we start with the joints and then we're like, okay, well, how do we put force into them? And that's where Louis' machines come into huge play, like the, the ATP or the belt squat. Like that right there is the number one thing where we can statically load up a joint safely, put weight, traction out the back at the same time, build up your ankles, build up your knees. So we're doing a bunch of stuff. But it's coming from the objective data of before we start any workout with an athlete, we know how strong your joints are. We know how much capacity you have, what range of motion. And then we create a hierarchy. And to create a hierarchy of training is based on, well, where are you messed up? So if you don't have joint capacity, um, just say you have only 30%. But what we do is we're going to regain whatever the required percentages is or whatever degrees of motion we need. Um, so that's going to be a separate workout. But then that 30%, we know we can load you safely in that. So we'll just get exercise that we can max you out and we can do speed work on. So that way we keep the CNS stimulated while we're working on the back end, fixing your joints and then progressively move on. Um, and then because we only have, maybe when we have wrestlers here, we might have them three times a week if we're lucky, just because there's so much stuff going on. And um, so we're like, okay, let's create a hierarchy of what we can do here and what you can do at home. And then from there, that's how it develops. I tend to waffle on, so we'll be back in anytime. So. No, that's no, that's great. I love it. I love it. Um, so now, is this going along with the evaluation you give these athletes first? Because I remember you saying something like that: an athlete will come in, you'll evaluate yeah. them. Is this that? Yeah, and you see, what people get mixed up is when Louis said, "We don't." Louis does this automatically. Like he's gifted at that. He knows by looking at your movements when you squat, when you do this. He's like, "Oh," like, but he doesn't. It doesn't come out. He just knows this is why you're doing this, this, and this because his brain goes 100 miles an hour and he already sees where you should be and then he's going to get you there. We don't have that look, like we don't, we're, we're not that fast. And um, so we do it very systematically in that there's given ranges of motion. And then I work with John because I stay in my lane. And uh, so John will come in and he'll work with the athlete and he'll tell me, hey, this is the, the degrees of range of motion he has in the hips. Um, we'll go from the toes, everything, anything that's going to be used that potentially can get injured. That's what we assess. Then once we have objective data, then that way I can take that and create an accurate plan. Okay, here we go. And then because of the system here, every week we have feedback. We know how strong you are, how fast you are, how much uh, range of motion developing in your joints. And you can see that it's objective. I'm not giving you subjective information. Here is data. And you're like, well, oh crap, this is going in the right direction. Because I can tell you you're doing great, but it doesn't matter. And then the next thing too is you can be doing great in the gym, but are you doing great in wrestling? And that's where the coaches feel like, hey, can I talk to your coach? If so, great. Coach, can I get feedback? How are they doing in the gym? Like, uh, how are they doing on the mats? Is flexibility going better? What are you seeing? And then asking the athlete. And then we take all that and put it onto data. And then that way we track it all the way. And it, it can be seen as overkill, but uh, from where you start, 
you got a huge amount of information. Then as you get better and better, it shrinks down to where we know the pinpoint what you need is like you progress in your career. That makes sense. I would think now if I had a son who is, so I have two boys, one's two and the other one's eight months. I would think like, okay, they turn around, I don't know, whatever age, 12, 13, 14, whatever you recommend. It's like, I wouldn't be able to get them there three days a week because I live in New Jersey, but maybe a weekend at Westside, get evaluated by Tom and John. And, and then, and then here's the plan. Does it work like that? Are, are, are parents able to do that? Are serious athletes able to come in? Uh, they, it's hard because it's, this place is crazy. You never know from day to day, we got people coming in, coming out, but a lot of this you can do yourself. Okay. And like kids are the most important aspect to me. And I still can't fathom why there's not more emphasis put into structure at a young age because somewhere we screw them up because you've got young kids, their squat form is perfect. The mechanics are perfect. You're like, well, cause you have to keep everything in the center of mass, but somewhere along the line, like chairs are too comfy now. Uh, we have like a lot of luxury, we got video games, we got everything. So we're screwing them up along the way. But really, if you have a basic understanding of how uh, strength training works and how joints work, you can maintain a healthy kid the whole way through. And um, the, we're seeing a lot of things now, particularly in baseball, there used to be seasons. Now there's no season. It's not, not a season doesn't end. So you have these repetitive injuries coming through. And uh, like if I, like we just had a kid too. So I'm hoping that he'll be as diverse as possible because the more sports you can play and then you can structure into what you want. Like if he wanted to be a wrestler, I'm saying, well, how can we get other sports to benefit wrestling? And there's other grappling sports. And, but um, there's plenty of information out online and books there to where you can at least get, you want to know enough information to understand that if they're doing something wrong, you can say it. Or if a coach is doing something wrong, especially in the high school setting. To me, high school is the most important age to train an athlete. And you can see these kids who are just genetically gifted that just cruise on up and then they get to Ohio State, Penn State, wherever they end up. And um, we have seen some ridiculous impingements from athletes. And because they're so tough, I'm like, well, how long have you been? Have, we had one kid who had back pain nine years. And he's like, I just thought that's the way it is. And um, you're like, no, he had a, his hip joint. That's as much rotation he had, none but no one knew what to look for. And because on the outside, it looks like it's going right, but not on the inside. So if I was a parent, I would at least just get a fundamental understanding of what good strength conditioning is and how you can test the joints. And like, um, again, John Quint, he's the guy on that. And he's got a bunch of information on his website. I think it's johnquintmmt.com. But there's enough stuff out there and on YouTube where you can go, well, that actually makes sense. I can't rotate my uh, leg in and out or I can't rotate my shoulder this way. And if you can't, it's just a ticking time bomb because something's going to give out. I can't hear I you. I was, there we go. I remember when I was a trainer a while ago, I mean, years and years ago, before I even learned about Westside, they had people doing a functional movement screen. Oh, yeah. Is, is that okay? Have you heard uh, of that? That was by a great cook, I remember. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't use it. And I, I went through it and I spent a lot of money back when I was in college because that was the all and end all. Now, it is a 
it's a tool you can have in your arsenal that you can use for testing. To me, I just really love the way that uh, functional range assessment, how they do it, because it's based on solid literature. Ray Cook really was, uh, he did a whole great job of giving it to the masses, but you've had people come out with them certificates who were experts. And I'm like, dude, you're no, this doesn't make sense to me. Um, but it's not, I'm not writing it off. It's a tool to have in your toolbox for sure. But to me, you really need to understand how joints function. And then as a strength coach, you need to know, well, how can I get those joints stronger in different ranges of motion? That way we can um, reduce your perceived uh, risk of injury. And also another thing too, is when you first start off, you might not be that strong to get injured. But as you progress and get older and do some weight training, you get strong enough to where you're going to get yourself injured. Now you're outputting enough force to where something's going to go wrong. And people don't really realize that. And there's a strong correlation between that. The stronger you are and the bigger the weakness, the likelihood of your injury is through the roof. So... Right, and that's why I started thinking about the tendon strength right away and how to build it. Uh, is, do you, well, what exactly would you recommend for athletes is just a general rule? Is it band work? You know? oh, we, we live on bands. That, that's a big thing that Lou had us do here was um, we, we do 300 reps, just say for uh, your, your elbows, of tricep extensions. And like for people who want to count, it was normally like two four-minute songs, so eight minutes is what it takes. Um, we would do that. I mean, like your joints, you'd feel them, but then after like two or three days, you build up capacity. You're like, I don't have any like tendonitis. And then, um, we do stuff for your shoulders, rotation, roll work, the same with, um, with your hips. But we like, I utilize bands, like there's no tomorrow. Um, John puts people through workouts for their joints. That's body weight based that you will start cramping. Like it's like, again, I'm not going to step into his territory. You have to get him on because the guy is a walking encyclopedia of knowledge, but he breaks it down to you. So you leave knowing, okay, he's the only person therapist that I've ever worked with that would give you so much education that you'd only go there once or twice. And then like, he starts getting like, why are you coming back? You should be able to fix this. Like he, he actually wants you to get better. He doesn't want you to keep coming back, coming back. Um, that's what makes him so unique. But when I get the athletes, we do a lot of stuff. We do a lot of static holds. Just say we'll uh, have the knee at 90 degrees. I'll have a band pulling to the left, to the right, in front and the back. So the hip joint is getting traction and uh, stimulated from all different angles. Um, we'll do good mornings from different angles. And this is providing the athletes healthy, obviously. Um, but we'll try to load them up. R wrestling is really a challenge at the start because you guys get in, I mean, like suplex, like the positions and the, the way your body torques. Um, we realized the lower back has to be super healthy, like super healthy. And that can only be healthy if your hip joints are healthy. And um, tight psoas and impeded hips is the number one thing we see with, I would say, every wrestler we've had. We've had one come in that we've worked with that didn't have any issues there. And because they're sound tough, so they're like, oh, I just thought that's just the way it is. And you're like, nope. Like, you, you're supposed to be able to do a lot of this stuff. Um, yeah, I went on a tangent. But yeah, bands, uh, bands are huge. And then some bodyweight exercises. But uh, we have a whole, I think we have an article on our website. 
just going through some of the different band exercises we do on that. Okay, so for, for the wrestlers that, that the tight psoas, what would you recommend for them to do as a corrective? Like just assuming that a, a serious high school wrestler, college wrestler has that, what could they do? Well, so a tight psoas is usually a symptom. And we're like, okay, well, where is that stemming from? It's usually a symptom of poor hips. But if that's not the case, there's a, that so right is actually pretty damn good. That little plastic U kind of thing. And then uh, like at Westside, we just, we've dug in with kettlebells or went to a therapist to do. But once you regain the, just say you release the psoas, then it's time to train it. So we'll train it. Like um, we have little small med balls and we'll slowly but surely we'll do a, a sit up rolling over it. And then as you build up and arch out, we'll uh, do that. And then we have a, a hip abdominal developer. And um, that is a pad of your back and allows you to drive your hips up and arch your, it's basically like a suplex machine. That's what it is. But that allows you to get in that angle and statically hold in that position to build up uh, your hips and build up your psoas. So that's uh, some of the big things we do. And then when we strengthen our abdominals, We'd like to do a lot of stuff off a 45 degree uh, hyper because it removes any um, stabilization from the back. So you'll see people, if you got a tight psoas and you, um, you put it, just say the back of the pad is right at your butt cheeks and then you, you hold you cross your hands. And if you got a tight psoas within 10 seconds, you'll be shaking like this. I'm like, okay, we can see right away. But once we start working on that, we have like these, some MMA guys will do this for five minutes straight. They'll be holding that position. We have people pommeling, throwing med balls, doing that, and to where their stomach uh, becomes super strong in all directions. And, and then two, <clears throat> the psoas attaches at the front of the spine. So people get back pain and they can't find out what it is. Well, the psoas is pulling the spine this way. So that's the cause of a lot of back pain too. So by looking at that, you can eliminate a lot. Just focus on hips. And so as, and I guarantee you, a lot of people's pain will be gone. That would be they have to go to see a physical therapist first before they train it. Plus, the, yes. Now, there's very few strength coaches. Some will know, but again, you have to understand the role you're in. Like, I'm a strength coach. I'm not a joint expert. I know enough about the joints to know, hey, that's not right. And thankfully, like, we all network. We all know people we work with and trust, like, I'm just blessed to have John. So I'm like, hey, like, please go see John. That's like my out. But I know enough to go, hey, your hip is not right. Your uh, shoulder is not right. That's, to me, that's all you need to know. Now, there's people out there who can do everything. I just, I don't know about you, there's not enough hours in the day for what I'm doing already to where I'd like to outsource to someone who is legitimately a specialist in what they do. Right. Uh, but if you can't do that, at least with YouTube and the internet, like, the answer is going to be somewhere out there. Just be smart enough to search videos. And I know um, uh, Dr. Spina and uh, Dr. Shivers and all those guys, they have a bunch of videos out there so you can do self-assessments. A lot of this stuff can be done to, through Zoom and everything, but if you get out and really just uh, pay attention to good literature, all this stuff is out there for free. Absolutely. I remember when um, Louis did an interview with Zach Evanesh, who's a New Jersey strength mm -hmm. guy underground gym, um, actually grew up in the same town as him, the other side of the town. But he asked Louis about what should an athlete do, what should a wrestler do who doesn't have a lot of time, but that wants to get extra workouts in. Like you said, these wrestlers and all athletes will do extra workouts. 
and he recommended pick two different exercises with the bands and do a hundred reps. So, and, and then just switch up the exercises each day. Maybe it's good morning. Maybe it's the tricep extensions, the, um, the leg curls, all that stuff. Would that still be a recommendation? Yeah. And that, uh, um, that mindset really, um, there's a, a strength coach called Dan DePasqua from the Melbourne Storm. Been, been, com been coming here all the time. Um, we trade back information, but um, he's the one that really hammered home along with Louis at that hierarchy of, okay, let's look what you can control. You have two days and the two days you have 30 minutes that you can give. Well, how can I make these 30 minutes the most productive possible? Well, what's my biggest weakness? We'll just say it's uh, lower back, glutes and that. Okay, I haven't got time to isolate. I would love to, but that's a luxury. But what compound movements can I do to kill two birds with the one stone, so to speak? Right. So that's where bands, bands and sleds. Like if I could be left anywhere, give me a set of mini bands and a sled with four plates on it. Then you can do everything. Because with sleds too, you can do upper body, lower body, you can do conditioning, you can do strengthening. So, and you got to think 80% of our work is accessories. So I'd rather get 80% in than just focus on the 20%. So it just comes on, you just have to be strategic. Now, obviously, when you work in the private sector, we have luxuries that people in colleges don't have. We don't have any um, red tape. We don't have any NCAA. We don't, we have, okay, these guys are coming to us. Hey, I've got... Three days a week, I give you an hour and a half each day. You're like, oh, boom, this is perfect. But when you're in high school and college, <clears throat> you have practice, you have school, you have exams, you have all these things going on to where it's not as if you're, like when you get to the Olympic team, you have a little bit more flexibility, but you still have to make your rounds to the different RTCs. Um, that's where you have to create a hierarchy. And then you have to know too, uh, we've noticed this with college students, Injury rates jump up around exam time because your, your central nervous system, all it knows is stress. So if the stress is coming from exams, from training, from life, it's still the same. It's just it's drawing from you. And injury rates go up because you're so tired. So you have to understand that like everything goes in waves. If you have exam times, be very, very particular of what you're going to train and get through that. Um, the same with competitions. We went to a lot of wrestling matches. Now, again, wrestlers are super conditioned. But then I've seen people warm up to where you're like, that is, I know you're trying to get out, the, like, shake out the nerves, shake out everything. But you have to be, like, to me, the more meticulous you are about your warm-up and can repeat it and not blow everything in that and just want to go with your second wind. And there's a few people we worked with that had great results with it. A lot of the time it comes down to, well, this is what my coach was taught and a coach taught him and passed down the way. Um, but yeah. No, that's, that's great. So do those, those tendons, you said the bands, as well as the, um, as well as the sled with the four plates, is there a specific sled that you'd recommend? Well, obviously we have, we have <clears throat> our own sled. Um, but I hate plugging stuff. You can, you can, uh, top over a tire, a tire hub and put sandbags in that and tie a strap around your waist. Um, we don't like using shoulder harnesses because the arc or the angle makes it too easy, especially the taller you are. But around your waist, I think really is really good because it's like someone holding on to you all the time. Okay. Um, we do 60-yard trips, especially for building strength. 
for conditioning, we do 400 meters for time. Um, we'll do a lot of grappling, upper body, because we got the loops and the straps with it. Um, you don't need an awful lot of weight, but our rule of thumb is you want to at least be able to handle your own body weight on a sled. Because if the two of us are wrestling, right, and we're the, we're the same weight class, okay, we'll just say we're 200 pounds. I at least have to be able to handle 200 pounds. So that means I'm competent in handling my own body weight. Now you're 200 pounds. So that's 400 pounds. And if I'm not used to 400 pounds, well, then I'm in for a world of hurt. And that's not even accounting for your strength. So when we build up athletes, they'll start from two to four to where they're able to handle three or four times their body weight in different like movements, different positions to where like hopefully their strength level and their conditioning is not going to be an issue because you need to have the mental reserve left to make really uh, smart decisions when you're wrestling. And if you're like, dude, I'm tired, or this guy is so much stronger than me, well, then your mind is going to different places, not focusing on that. And that's another thing a strength conditioning can do is to where it keeps your mental reserve for when you need it, not for thinking of, I got to, like, I don't think I can get much more, or I got 30 seconds, dude, I'm, I'm gassed out. If we can reduce that, then you're fine. And that, that's a big advantage over anyone. Absolutely. So, so with, with the sled, it, it's not so much which sled it is. It's, it, is it more of like, a, do you use one that you push also or just so more? The, the prowler, so the sled, we use a sled drag. So okay. type of a strap that you can use the prowler. We just got way more out of the sled dragging because you can push it, you can pull it, you can walk with it. We never run. It's always a power walk with the heel. Okay. And we have a bunch of free articles on our website that goes through a lot of this with videos. Um, but just that alone um, will carry over leaps and bounds because it helps to track down your sacrum. It helps to develop your joints. It develops conditioning, develops the posterior chain. Um, same for upper body. You can do curls, extensions, upright rows. You name it, you can do. You can sit down, load up a weight, and you can do pulls. Like it's a phenomenal exercise. It's just, it's like the Swiss army knife of exercises. Then with the bands, you just like, you got to think about, okay, from your neck all the way down, you can do neck resistance against a band. Then you can do shoulder rotations. Then you can do, um, you can do extensions. And then you can do oblique turns. You can do crunches. Then you can do leg raises. Then you can do adductor adductors. You can do hamstrings. And that's all with one band. So you can actually just got to think from the top down, well, what can I do? And you're limited by your imagination. That makes sense. And, and now would you recommend a certain size band? I know there's the, the, the general ones, the red, the, the blue, and then the green. What do each of them weigh? And then would you switch, use different bands for different exercises or use the same one straight through? Like do some so, athletes just go too heavy all the time? I don't know. So this is, we get asked this a lot. The band tension is like the most, it's like the, I don't know how to say it, but it's like, well, what's, what's the tension? I'm like, it is what it is from where you start. It's like whatever the circumference is around and then how far you pull it affects it. But if you just forget all that and you start with a red band and then you start with a red mini band and just say, if you can get through, we had a workout that was a 10 minute uh, warm up and I started from the neck all the way down. And when you could get through that efficiently and you're getting nothing from it, well then we go up to a black monster band. And then when you progress to that, so it's kind of a slight, kind of like linear periodization. Um, where like, like I'm not going to say like we're, we're conjugate all the way, but there's a slight linear way to using that. But then that's when we changed the bands. That was a big thing. Um, 
Now that's only for joints, like for for squats and for working out. But then that's where the purples, the uh, the greens and the blues come in. Like really, not many people should be squatting against mini bands. It doesn't really provide enough resistance for a lot. If you're a kids, yes, you get a lot from it. But um, for an athlete, no, I just I would just start with your joints with a red mini band and progress all the way up through the colors. Um, a minimum of 100 reps per joint. That's the minimum. Um, so you can do it by time or do it by 100 reps. That's what we found as the... Uh, 100 straight through, 100, straight through, 100 break it up. No, you want to get up to 100 straight through. And just say if you're doing tricep extensions or like uh, shoulder rotations, you never let go of the band. So even if you've got to take a break, you always hold on to it. Because then you know, okay, I got the 30 this time, I'm going to get the 35. But if you let go and walk away, I mean... Like, and we've had people who started out with 20 minutes and then came down to 10 minutes and they got it. So don't really, uh, I would focus more on the execution of the exercise than how much band tension is this. Uh, and uh, if you just take, this red band is giving me 20 pounds. Great. Now you have some objective data to where it's always compared to your baseline. So then if you go to black, that's 40 pounds and then so on and so forth. It just, whatever you start with, keep it the same way through. So then your data is always going to be true to yourself. Okay. Okay. That, that, that's very helpful. Cause that when I would do the, the, the extensions, once I heard Louie talk about it, I would throw the, the green band over the door and do it. And it's like, you're not getting, for me, I wasn't getting more than like 30. I do break it in 33, 33, 33, up to hundred, but no, it's better to use the red and rep them out. Yeah. Rep them out and as fast as you can, because you got to think your sport is not slow. You got quasi isometrics, but when you guys explode, I remember. Oh, I think the kid's name was Nathan Tomasello. Yeah, I watched him over, and I've never seen someone go around someone's body from an isometric, quasi isometric. Dude, he went around, and I'm like, I was just completely in awe of how fast that was. So, when you're doing joint work, make sure it's absolutely it's as powerful as you can, but always execute full range of motion. Don't shortchange yourself because people get sloppy and um, and a lot of times people lo lose count. Like, okay, we'll just do it to a, a song. An average song is three minutes and just blast it out. And then you can go all the way through a song. Okay, jump up a band. And again, this is not for, this is for developing tendon strength, not for absolute. Right, but it's so important. Like again, that the, the three to one principle, tendon to muscle. And we get, we get it mixed up in our head because, oh, it's a red band. This is tiny. I want to move some weights. And yep. then you wonder why I get hurt. But that's, and it's like everything too. Everything we're resting is out the front. Front, we're hunched over. But to where your rear delts, your upper back has to be like trained way more than what's in front. And everything should be done in like anti-rotation. So you're able to move backwards as well as forwards. So there's a bunch of stuff too to where, that's why we, we train outside of the groove, right? So if we know what your position is going to be, well, I really want to train everything that you're not using because that's what's going to get hurt when you get outside that groove. And it's uh, when you really step back and break it down, it becomes very simple. But what we've known is that people don't like simple. They think everything has to be super complicated. And you're like, dude, life's complicated enough. Let's make like strength training pretty simple and effective. Like that's all it's supposed to be. And that's where we... Before the start, we talk about strengths or uh, sports science. Sports science is huge. And as a strength coach, I use sports science to give me objective feedback to see 
is what I'm doing working. And then where's it working at? That's it. I don't let it dictate what I'm doing because that can only be as good as the person testing it. Whoever's using it, I want the data to see what I'm doing. Like then I'll guide my own training. Like that's the thing. They want it so complicated. I'm going to want to use this technology. Like there were studs that were absolute, like George Hackenschmidt, all these guys way back that didn't have any sort of scientific measures. They went by feel. So I just want to have more objective data and I use that, but it all comes back down to a simple system. And no complex system ever starts out complex. It goes from simple all the way out. Excellent, excellent. What would you say are some mandatory exercises for wrestlers, maybe the most underused? And then maybe also, what are some of the most overused that you see wrestlers slash MMA uh, fighters do that you, you don't need to be doing this as much? Uh, so, uh, the, most, the most overused is running. I mean, I mean, to where you're like, I've seen stuff to where you're like, I, I just don't understand it. Like I, I would, you'd have way more benefit a bit on the mats than doing these five mile. I, I get, I get the principle, I think of like, this is for team building. We're going to go do this or put on a backpack and rock or do like sprints until you get sick. I'm like, when you get sick, that's your body rejecting what you're doing. Um, but to me, like sprinting makes no sense. Like I understand it in short intervals and for like program in and out, but for hours makes no sense to me. That to me, and at least a lot of injuries. If I was a wrestler, and I think the most underutilized is sleds done right. Like really, like, like if you do sled, if you do a sled workout right, you will be so tired that you don't want to do anything else. But it's low impact on your joints. It maximally stimulates your central nervous system. It carries over to strength development, carries over to joint development, and to overall conditioning. And you can you can ha you can do uh, like a really good um, sled workout in twenty to thirty minutes. And the other exercise that uh, people don't understand and as a silent killer is that ATP. So uh, I was doing just a volume. So if you have a, a okay, the, it was like crazy amount of I like to think it was like 70,000 pounds of volume that we got done in six minutes. So like it's, and then that's why data is important. You're getting all this volume done because you can do walks, you can do grappling, you can do speed squats. Um, it's huge. And you got to think a sled and a belt squat walk or ATP walk is um, unilateral because you can go left, right, left, right. It's way better than a pistol squat and way safer. So those two things there is definitely, but sleds by far is underutilized hugely because we've had kids, oh, we do sleds, Mike, go show me. And they'll do two plates and they're back and they, that's, that's not how you do slides. Uh, we had a, a 140, yeah, 148 pounder and he could pull 440 pounds on a sled for sled trips. And you're like, like can you do that? We've had heavyweights who can't do that. So that to me, I would focus hugely on the sleds. What would that workout look like? Uh, so depending on the day, we split it up. Um, we had one max effort and we had two speed days um the max effort then will be it could be lower body upper body a zercher we, we'd mix all that up and then um once that was done uh so yeah we come in we warm up we do that then we do upper body we say whatever the max effort exercise is 
and then um, everyone would know where the weaknesses are, and then they would work on the accessories. Um, so we would, uh, sorry, mom's thing here. Uh, doo -doo -doo. So speed day is probably the best. Um, when you come in for speed day work, depending on the athlete, so we had wrestlers that we would have twice a week. So they would do one max effort and one speed day, and that speed day was probably the best speed day we've ever done. It was, uh, you come in, you'd warm up with sleds. So you do six to eight trips, 60 yards. Then it would be bench press. Um, so you do your sets there. Then it would be bench press. Then it'd be a uh, squat. Then it'd be deadlift. So you go around and we do um, six sets of six. So you're going boom, 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 boom. They get that done in another 15 to 20 minutes. And that's a workout because they're nonstop. And then it was plyometric jumps and then it was like two or three crucial accessory workout depending on what their weaknesses were and then they would finish with um some sleds or with some uh joint work at the end so it's, it's hard to give you a specific because everyone right. know what they had to work on so you might have three because when you first come in here it's like a circus you have people they do the max effort or the main movements and then it just scatter and you're like what is going on but you have certain people who had similar weaknesses that work together over here very rarely would you have everyone all lined up to do the same exercise right that makes sense but they would do the trips on the sled then they would do that that the yeah. bench the squat and the deadlift for six sets of six for all of them and just ro rotate yeah, but and we would and we would change that depending on how many is in the group so if there's only two people there well then we can do a more traditional style to where we might do um we'll do nine sets of three on the bench we'll do 10 doubles on the squat and 10 doubles on the deadlift and the superset then but if we had a group of five well, we had to get more work done. So we would go, we might do five sets of five, six sets of, or six, sets of six, and then maybe uh, eight sets of eight, depending on what we keep changing up every three weeks. And we had huge success moving large numbers through the gym because um, the most we ever had was 10 at one time. So we had two groups going. And for banter and crap talking, it was phenomenal because you had one set over here and they wanted to get done and eventually, like, they would just, just barely overlap. And uh, so it comes down to numbers, really, of what you're going to do for sets and reps. That's awesome. And for deadlifts, it's usually doubles? It's, it's doubles, but uh, that, that's the traditional. But we've had it for where they'll do five sets of five. I found it hugely beneficial to superset the squats and the deadlifts. So as soon as you get done squatting, you're walking over to the deadlift platform then you're doing your deadlifts and then you're recovering and back the way around. So usually if there's five people, minimum we're going to do five sets of five. And uh, it's just, it's a conditioning workout, but you're getting stronger and conditioned at the same time. Right. And we want everyone out within an hour, an hour, 15 minutes. That's it. Right, right. And how would you gauge the weight for each person is based off of one rep max? Yeah, 100%. So no, nothing is speculation. Um, so all the principles come from the managing and the training of the weightlifter on page 32, I think is Prilipin's chart. Right. And that gives you your tolerances, what we're working with. But in our initial assessment, we know how strong you are. Like what's your best. Now, if you have a best that's 10 years old, well, that's not accurate. We want to know like, what's the most current. And if you don't have one, we'll get one. So the first week is accumulating data. Then once we have that, it's easy to set up your sets and reps for speed work. And then the same with accessories. I said, you start off very broad, 
And then as you train and your training age comes up, we start narrowing in to where we have um, exercises that have huge carryover that will only do those three or four weeks out from competition because we know it's like dynamite. We put them in and you're going to explode. So we just put these in strategically towards competitions to get the better bang for the buck. Then we'll ease off, we'll have delayed uh, transformation, and then go into competition. Excellent. What percentage do you stay within for those X for that bench squat and deadlift? Uh, for speed work, we're in a, we were at uh, 50, 55, and 60 plus 25% accommodating resistance, all based off your one rep max. But we've had people, because Louis's been experimenting with his lift, with uh, the power lifters, and we're like, well, let's see what happens with the, some of the fighters. And the deadlift, we had the best carryover to where we bumped it up to about 60 to 70%. The squat, so so the bench was not, didn't really benefit us at all. So we kept that to a strict 50%. The, the sumo deadlift and the snatch grip deadlift, those two have huge carryover to any grappling sports we've worked with. Which like everyone thinks, oh, well, they think the conventional deadlift because you're rounding over, but the sumo and the, the snatch grip deadlift, dude, that makes a man out of you. Like just that wide grip. Like if, if you can do 440 on that, you're a bad mofo. Like that's, <laughs> a, that's a hell of a lift right there. Um, but yeah, usually we, we try to keep it because we're trying to keep it fast and we adjust the rest periods for the intensity. So roughly, if they're going fast enough, they'll be in around 30 to 45 seconds rest between uh, reps or presets. So it'll be 50 to 60, 50% 50 for squat, about 60% for deadlift? Rough, like, now, that, that's what we're experimenting with. To keep it simple, it's 50 plus 25% accommodating resistance, which is bands or chains. Right. We like bands more because it's easier if you have people at different heights um bands will adjust with that chains if you're six foot and five foot the six foot guys are gonna have chains swinging off the ground and becomes a nightmare and bands really teach you how to grind through a lift like pull through it um but that's a big thing and especially we get way more out of it by reducing the intervals because we're trying to make athletes here not power lifters now there is overlap there's a big difference like we need to be conditioned too that's where like circuits, like a lot of our accessories might do them in the circuit too, just to be a lot more efficient through it. Right. And when you say squat, are they box squatting? Are they sumo stance? Uh, box squat. Yep. And we'll change the stances every three weeks or change the box height. But the box is always to parallel, maybe an inch or two below. Um, <clears throat> you might put into accessories real low box squats to build up the hips. But normally box squats is by far the easiest to control depth. And it helps people not just to drop down and it carries over and it's a lot safer, a lot safer on the knees when it's done right. When it's done wrong, it's a whole different story. We have people who just hit the box and come up and hurt their knees. But when it's done right, it's super safe. And from a coach's perspective, everyone knows what box height they are. And we go by two inch mats. So we got two inch and a one inch. So you either know you're a two plus a one or you're two twos. So everyone knows and um, everyone has a purpose. So in the training group, you have two guys spotting, one guy adjusting the boxes, then one guy lifting and whatever. So everyone has a job to do. And the group can only go as fast as the slowest guy. So everyone's trying to push him and motivate him on. And then that's another thing too. We try to get the groups pretty even based on strength, not based on who you are, which happens a lot. I'm going to train with this guy because he's my buddy. And that guy's 400 pounds stronger than you. It just doesn't work out. <laughs> 
right? Right. And now you say the 25% band tension. If we don't know exactly what the bands weigh, how do I know? So for, that's for joint work, but for, let's say for lifts, you can get a hanging crane scale or a luggage scale off Amazon for 30 bucks. And then you just pick the band up to where the level is going to be. And it'll tell you how much poundage is coming out. And just remember, it's a rule of thumb. People are real sticklers to where not. No, I can understand why you'd want to be, but if it's plus or minus like five pounds, like it's okay. Another thing too is people have uh, when they do box squats, it's loose in the bottom, so it should never be loose in the bottom. So you should always have tension. So it should reduce from about twenty five percent to roughly about fifteen or ten percent in the box. Are there bands on when you're deadlifting? Yep. Yeah, there are always uh, bands. Always bands. It just it forces you to recruit a lot faster, because I'm not sure if you lift against heavy bands, but the slower you go, the bands are always going to win because they're trying to pull you back down. Right, you got to explode through the band. Yeah. Wow. So fifty percent squat, fifty percent bench, and then fifty sixty percent deadlift with the accommodated resistance. So it, it's plus. So it's fifty percent plus twenty five. Yeah. So seventy five, seventy five. Now the bench is the one to where we might take it back down as case by case basis to where sometimes their shoulders are so beat up that it makes no sense to do too much weight. We want to keep within the, the realm of optimal. We don't want to be always balls to the wall. We try to keep everything in optimal range. So sometimes more people will get better results from 40% plus 25%. Other guys are super strong. I'm sure you've seen it. There's some wrestlers who have an immensely strong upper body and it's you're like i don't know how they maintain and maintain the health but they can just lift like upper body weights and there's others who, who can't do it and um and that's what comes into joints sometimes the shoulder joint is a limiting factor that their muscles are way stronger but their joints don't have the capacity to hold that load because when you come down with a band and you hold it and you reverse it that can put a lot of pressure on a shoulder joint and they get like pain in it so you're like okay we've got to build up that shoulder joint to match your strength level Okay. All right. And now what about, um, I think about what are some other things, uh, belt squat, good mornings, reverse hypers, regular hypers versus 45 degrees. What uh, are wrestlers and MMA fighters doing that a lot? They're, they're, they're doing that. We're doing a lot of Zercher lifts. Like Alexander Karelin was a monster. He did a lot of stuff from Zerchers. Uh, we'll Hooking do in the, your arms. Hooking in, yeah, in, in the crooks of your arms. He, he did that from the ground. <clears throat> which is pretty we had um uh to do, do i can't remember what weight he was he might have been 220 um he he got to usa trials um for greco um but it's one of the most impressive things i've ever seen he did a legit zercher lift with 405 pounds from the ground and it took him 12 and a half seconds and never never stopped never went down he just grinded and i was like he's gonna pass out it's one of the most because i couldn't believe he'd get in that position but he got in that position grabbed it and came all the way up and like we're going go 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 like we're like uh taking breaths in like go 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 we had to do it twice and uh it's one of the most amazing things never give up once um, so that's no small, just getting that position is hard to lift that weight. And I think Corellan's best was like 445 or 450 for reps. 
if I'm correct. But uh, the Zerschlitz is a huge one because you can do it off the rack to different heights. Right. I think that's a very good one. And then if you want to save your arms, there's a searcher harness you can wear. So some people don't, especially if um, you got competition, you don't want to have, you want to reduce your risks as much as you can and get the most out of the workouts. Um, that's another another good one. And then, uh, then like searchers, real quick with those searchers, yeah. when you get down on the ground and you get that in between the the crux of your elbow, are you are you squatting it up or are you bending over with your back and bringing it up? So it depends on the flexibility level you have. Ideally, you want to be as straight up and down as you can for mechanical yeah. advantage. But some people have lower backs from hell. And this athlete, he was here for about a year and a half. So we knew, dude, that like he was like the risk was pretty low because he was strong all over and he had a hell of a strong stomach. And like uh, he, he worked with like Lou a lot. And um, he's one of them few athletes that we had that like if if we told him to count the grains of rice in a rice bag, he would go do it. He just was a super student. Um, but yeah, that, uh, I think he rounded over just to get in there at the, at the bottom, but then he stood straight up, but you, you try, try and make it as perfect as you can. Okay. But if you can't, and you don't have the capacity to do it, do it off a, a power rack and you can do it off a power rack. Just count the numbers up. You might have to do it off a pin 15, which might be maybe hip height. So, and a rule of thumb for wrestlers is when you go to shoot in for a single leg, like that position before you shoot, if you measure a pin and put the bar there, you can actually do a single leg and shoot into a zercher and lift it up. You can get like really specific to it exercises. Same with good mornings. That's why like, dude, like I give wrestlers so much credit and it's such a phenomenal sport to work with as a strength coach because you've got stud athletes who want to go all the time, but the movements you do, you can get real creative in a weight room. Excellent. And if you're wearing that harness, do you, when you zercher it, do you go to the box or never to the box when you're doing that? So some people do a zercher squat. We, we like to do a zercher lift from a dead, from a dead stop. Um, didn't really, I'd rather just do a box squat than with that, maybe with a safety squat bar than I would with a zercher squat, but it's definitely a variation you can throw in. Again, that's more personal preference than not being right or wrong. All right. And then once an athlete wants to start ramping it up, should they should they get a reverse hyper for their house? Should they get a belt squat? Like if they had to pick two pieces of expensive equipment now, Jeez. what would you tell them? <laughs> Ooh, do do do. Because I look at all the stuff you guys have, and I'm like, oh man, the plyos. That's, that's the uh, that's the <laughs> equivalent question of me asking you to choose between your children. Um, <laughs> Because you can't, here's the difficulty, like people want to train more like Westside, but I don't have all these, this equipment, I can't afford all the equipment, so what, what do I uh, do if I could afford one of them? <laughs> I'll tell you that uh, Rogue have the Scout Reverse Hyper. Right. That's They're on back order right now. Yeah, that, uh, we spend a lot of time, uh, we, Louis spent a lot of time engineering that, and that for what you get for what you pay, that punches way above its weight category. So if you can get your hands on one of those for the price you're getting at, if I was an athlete, I would get that because that can go in the trunk of your car. That can be in your room. Like to me, hands down, I would go with that. Um, 
And then if I was to spend a big chunk of change, I think that ATP that we have, you can definitely get way more different exercises out of that. So I would get the entry level hyper, the 350 buck one, and then I would get our ATP. But if you couldn't fit that in, that rogue rhino bell squat is a lot smaller footprint, but you can still play with it. You can still walk in it, do a lot, even pommel on it. So you have a budget right there. So you can get the, the 350, uh, 350 buck uh, hyper, scale hyper. And I think that's 1850. So for about 2250, maybe 2400 bucks shipped, you can get those two. And that's still less than the AT. That ATP is really for um, for serious like home gym users or for RTCs or for because it's it's made for hundreds of people to be on on a weekly basis. When you're your own athlete, something smaller would be perfect. But that uh, really, if you want to save money, get that Scout Reverse Hyper if you can. Like that that will yeah the Scout it's and, and then the belt squat though. If you, can, if you can afford like that package, I would go for that. And if you want to go all out, I would definitely get the ATP. Um, but I couldn't imagine one without the other because you can just do so much and you can superset them too. Because in that, um, we have one where we'll do rows. So we'll do upper back rows on the belts, on the ATP, and then we'll run over and we'll do hypers. So you're getting the front and the bottom of your spine. And then you can jump on and do conditioning. And if you can't do sleds because of the rain, you can walk in the bell squat. Right. So, and just not to confuse people, the bell squat and the ATP, it's just a name difference. Like, uh, so bell squat started with uh, Lou. They, they built up a, a box and um, they hung weights off a weight belt. And that's where it came from. And then as time came on, everyone else came up with bell squats. So we made ours bigger, we made it a platform. And we did way more uh, athletic movements than squatting. So then it became the ATP, the athletic training platform. Um, They're very similar, but our ones adjust up and down. It's got band hooks. It's got a bunch of stuff on it. So that's why I, I interchange because for years it's called it's a bell squat. It's a bell squat. But. Right, right. And, and then you would have people like wrestle and pummel with you. Oh, while yeah, we had, um, the, we got videos out there. We have two. I mean, a pallet jack. And we get the face this way and then we make everyone face each other and we'll make them pommel each other. Like doing that for five minutes. Like we had some guys from OSU who came over and they were like, they were just wiped out from it because we have a little platform in the middle and have to meet. And then we had one where we had a band. So you, we had uh, two purple bands. You grab one side, I grab the other. And we pommel back and forth using the bands instead of like going with the hands. And after two minutes, like whatever tempo you started with is how you finished. And some people got really rambunctious at the start. And two minutes in, they're like, there's no way we're going to get through this. But yeah, it's, there's a lot, it's a lot. You can, you'd be surprised. There's a lot of wrestling rooms that have them there. And there's a lot of wrestling rooms that have them and they're just gathering dust too. So. Yeah, that's awesome. And then what else? Uh, glued ham, the hypers, the um, 45. Is it better to do regular hypers or 45 degree hypers? Does that matter? So, uh, uh, 40, the difference so it's not a reverse, it's a 45 degree back extension. Oh, that's what so, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I like that because a lot of stuff you can do, because you can do good mornings in that, but you can do a lot of really unique ab work on it. And like we live in that for ab work uh, and they're very inexpensive. Like you can pick one of them up 
well, you used to be able to pick one of them up like for two or 300 bucks used, not so much now with everything going on, but relatively you can get them brand new for 500 bucks. So, and uh, for anyone who's trying to outfit their own thing, get whatever you can get. Don't look and don't spend, because it's very easy. Like, I want to get that, that, that. Westside Barbell started off in Louis' basement with a power rack, a mirror, and a radio. So you can make anything work with whatever you got. Don't think you need these to be then out. It's a luxury, and from a coaching perspective, it makes our job way more effective and easier and optimal. But you can get away with a lot of stuff by not having it. So don't just think, well, I'm at a disadvantage. You're only disadvantaged in your mind if, if that's the way you think. Right. Being creative. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's one thing you, for sure you always see with Westside. I guess that's why I think like a glued ham is pretty good because you could get the effect of the hyperextension as well as the, the um, you know, the hamstrings. You, you could. Yeah. Like, I mean, for bank for buck. Yeah. You don't have to be specific and you can get like relatively cheap glued hams. All right. Yeah. All right. And, and last question about plyometrics. What would you what would you have? Is there certain things you would do specifically for wrestlers? Um, and then and then how many jumps should they be doing either per week or per workout? So for advanced athletes, and we'll just say high level high school to collegiate athletes, we'd have them do 40 jumps per workout broken up into uh, sets of 10. So four sets of 10. And um, we used to do a lot of depth jumps, but we cut them out. We got way more for jumping up onto a box. Um, so we do it with uh, a lot of the time with ankle weights on. So they'll do force, they'll do one set of 10 jumps onto a box. And before this happens, we'll have an objective height. So we'll know what their best box jump is. And then from that, okay, when I just say you have a passing grade for an athlete here is 52 inches. So you have a 52, uh, like Louis had a uh, 16-year-old track girls jump. Like, I mean, 52 inches is passing grade. And I don't care who you are. There's no way that can be done. We have had people who are not genetically gifted that have worked their ass off to where they've jumped over 52 inches. So it can be done. Um, so they'll do, with just say 10-pound ankle weights, they'll do four sets of 10 jumps. They'll jump on and they'll step off. And the key for wrestlers is when your set of 10 is up, you're doing active recovery. And for that, they were going, grabbing a med ball, walking 60 yards, coming back, and then onto the next jump. So they're always moving. And by doing that, we would, we would try to keep it under five minutes. Because again, we're trying to keep everything dense as possible. And um, we, uh, we really liked the 100 pound med ball and we'd uh, gable grip it, put it in, and pushed against our solar plexus, so it's really hard to breathe. So when they got into this, into routine, their conditioning was through the roof because they were so used to all these crazy movements and not guiding their air. But when they would jump, they're jumping through fatigue because we usually do jumps after the main movements. And uh, but when we retested the box squats, they've always they all, they've always went up. They never went back because we progressed through all the different accessories on them. It'll be mostly jumping on the bar. Would it be anything of the from your knees you do the clean, from the knees you do the snatch. Or is that different? Oh, um, we, yeah, you could do that, but again, for risk versus reward, and for the amount of people we had in the gym, it was a lot more efficient to do jumping up onto a box with either holding kettlebells, ankle weights on, weight vest. Now you can jump from your knees to your feet and from your feet onto a box. We would do that for sure, 
but the timing and the technique it takes to do it with a bar, I'm sure you know it. some athletes, you could tell them to walk on a tightrope, they'll close their eyes and do it. They're just gifted, they get it, and they'll get this first goal. For the vast majority of us, we spend more time screwing it up than actually doing the exercise. So again, lower the risk and more reward and do stuff that you can do. Because again, you only have that hour, hour, 15 minutes. Right, right. So you're thinking more, okay, so they're standing, either they have the kettlebells or they have the ankle weights on and yep. then they jump up, then they step off, then they walk or they no, don't they'll, walk they'll, they'll, they'll jump and come back around and wait their rotation. Oh, okay. So it's usually about four or five in a group, depending. <clears throat> and then as soon as they're done, if there's five people, we might have either five med balls out or we might have a med ball, a sled, um, a wheelbarrow, farmer's walks, play carry. We might have all this stuff set up, but they're always doing something in between the sets. And then when that's done, then they're going back around. And then it just helps them just like understand how to recover, how to pace themselves, how to do everything. Right. And would you, will you change the different types of jumps they're doing? Is every it three weeks. Every three weeks. So, so every three weeks. And then we would do it twice a week if we haven't like, so we would do maybe one based on more agility. So it might be uh, uh, more hurdle jumps or more stagger jumps. You jump off, jump to the side, jump back. And then we'd have one day for building. So we're trying to build that box jump because the box jump really tells me how strong you are relative to your body weight. So if you start with a 40 inch jump and you go up to a 52 inch jump, well, your power ratio to your body weight just went through the roof. So that means we're doing the right, the right weight training. And then hopefully we're taking all this and then we're getting good feedback from the wrestling coaches saying, hey, this guy is crushing it. He's not out of breath. And it's amazing, like wrestling coaches are brutally honest. Like I've never met one that did not say what they were thinking but they'll let you know like okay this is where i think and like if a, a lot of strength coaches think they know everything and we don't we know very we're we're a cognitive whole machine but if you really listen to them and understand the terminology to a basic level the feedback you get is crazy like it's it's so good that they'll know hey i'm just noticing that one minute in when people are snapping him, he's just going down and you're like well okay think about it from a biometric point of view uh, and you're like oh okay you're like, maybe it's the lower back, maybe it's the lower back, maybe it's the hip. And then you're like, then you just push a elimination, you get it. And you have this big feedback loop. Usually problems occur when there's no feedback loop. Right. I know that, that makes sense. And you're doing these jumps at the end of the workout. Yep. Usually, usually towards the very end, because uh, we want to get you to do something complicated when you're fatigued, because that's what wrestling is. Like you're in a fatigued state. And you might have to do a complicated move or you want to have that reserve to be able to, to think clearly. And by doing this, if we make the gym exceptionally hard, well, everything else should be really easy. And then competition should really be a breath of fresh air to where like, I'm going to show you guys what I've been working on. Um, and that's a, that's a big thing. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, so much great information. Right. So correct me if I, I'm going to try to lay it out and see if I have a lot of this right. Ideally, it's three days a week that you're doing the lifting program. Yes. You have a you have a strength you have a strength day, you have a speed day, and yep. what was the other one? So if, if we had that, we'd probably do two strength days, okay, uh, max effort days, and maybe one speed day, depending, or maybe two speed days and one max effort day. It depends. Like each week, it's yeah. Good. And uh, 
it changes up like that because it depends on the schedule you have a wrestling. So if you have hard wrestling, well, then I'm not going to have two max efforts in the week. So we'll do two dynamics. But if you don't, we will put in more max effort work. So it's, it's variable. And everything I say is with a rule of thumb. That's what drives people nuts. It's like, I want to know the specific sets and reps and how it works out. But everyone is different. And as soon as you pigeonhole yourself into specifics, well, that, that doesn't work. That, that, no, that makes that that makes sense. And then when you say max versus speed day, then that that's based on how much percentage you're putting on the bars. Yeah. So a max effort day, we're trying to get an all-time record. So it's usually we aim for five pounds is what we want. So if you've got a 400-pound deadlift, we want to get 405. Now, if you smoke it, we might get a little bit cheeky and go for 410, 415. But we always want to save something in the tank. So psychologically, you know, the next time you come in. Well, I crushed 405, so 410 is pretty much a given. And we always want that hunger to come back in. And that, so max effort is usually a, a, an all-out, and it's a one. It's a one-rep max. It's not a triple, it's not a quadruple. That's for muscle endurance. It's a one-rep max. Right, so like what you were saying, when you sometimes will do a, a whatever, you, like the five sets of five or the six reps or the eight reps, that's on a speed day, or you're doing yep. this sets of two. Okay, yep. yeah, that, that makes sense. And then you're saying the bands every day every day and different you can train your joints every day you can do every you can do small workouts every 8 to 24 hours and it could just be 20 minutes we have had college kids rip door handles off damage hinges because they put bands everywhere they go but uh this one guy sent us a picture he had a band every door he walked past he would do reps so you can set that up but you can do it every day because you want your joints to adapt, so our, 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 we're chasing adaptation, avoiding accommodation. That's our whole goal. So as soon as that red band got easy, onto the blacks, and then onto the purples, and doors started getting demolished when we went onto green bands. So we try to scale it back in. That's right. And the jumps are every time, like you said, the plyometrics at the end of every yeah. workout. And yeah. but on this, on a max effort day, you're going for a record on the on, so on, we're, on whatever. Um, nuance of jump we're doing that day and usually on the max effort day we try to keep to make things simpler from a psychological aspect we try to do everything heavier on heavy day so the volume is down but the intensity is through the roof so those jumps so we might do our heaviest jumps on that day and then just say if you're doing 10 pound ankle weights and maybe you're holding like 20 pound dumbbells then we might go hey we might scale back in between and just focus on getting through it. Again, it's dynamic, depending on that. But then on speed day, you might be doing the multi-jumps to where it's hurdle jumps or it's sidesteps. It's something that's more explosive. So then that way, it's easy to go, okay, today's more explosive than this more intense. Excellent. The problem happens is when you try to do high intensity and low volume on a day, it should be medium intensity and higher volume because you need everything to come together for that feedback loop to tell you how strong, how fast, Where's your weakness? What was your previous weakness? Where is it now? And then every week, like, can you imagine the wrestling coach every week, I'm giving you this data, like here's objective data for you to see. Um, and that's our goal because uh, we always want to be cognizant of, you could call me at any time and go, show me what you've done. And if I have to go, um, well, we did, if I don't have anything objective to show you, like I should be, I should be fired. Right. Exactly. Tom, awesome stuff. Great information. Where do we send people to find more information of Westside Barbell? 
go to website-barbell.com. Uh, our Instagram is, I would say, 90% education. We try to keep everything there. Um, then two, Louie is the most successful strength coach you'll probably ever meet. Uh, you can send him uh, Louie at website-barbell.com and Louie legitimately gets back to everybody. Like it's still the most insane thing I've ever seen. Um, we will print out the emails. He will handwrite the answer back and then let me type back up and he returns calls. Like that's one thing that makes this place so unique. Um, but the website, we've got hundreds of articles for free. It's a lot of stuff on there. And then just uh, shoot us a question on Instagram. Like anyone who works here is pretty well versed in training. And then if not, everything always filters up to Louie anyway. So yep, just reach out and everyone comes to Ohio. We're, we're, we're always here. Awesome, Tom. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.